Throughout this year, we have uh, selected a theme of learning to love the Psalms, and on the first Lord's Day of each month, I've been preaching on the Psalms. And so I'll ask you to turn to Psalm 91 today. Listen as I read God's word. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. One of the Sunday school classes this morning, I showed them a coin, it's a silver dollar, and asked that, uh, showed them the wording that is on that coin. It's on all of the United States coins. It says, in God we trust. And that's the title of my message today. It's a, it really is a profound inscription on our coins. If you think about it for our nation and for our, our love of money. I'm not going to, uh, to go in that direction today. I want to instead, I want you to think about that phrase, in God we trust. And it does have that application as a corrective of our love of money and a corrective for our nation. But I want you to see it in its context. I want you to see the trust that we have because of the promises of God, of his presence with us, even in the midst of those troubles we go through. And the call of this psalm and the call of this sermon is that we would make God our refuge. That we would look to him as our dwelling place, our savior. I'm going to begin by thinking of that phrase, in God we trust, by asking the question, well, just who is this God? Who is he? And I ask that because David as he starts off this psalm, uses four different names for God. 
And it is a fascinating way to introduce you to who this God is. He says that he is the Most High, he is the Almighty, he is the Lord, and he is my God. I want to pause just briefly on each of those names and consider what they tell about who God is and why we can trust him. So he is, first of all, the Most High. This is a title that refers to his rank. He is supreme over all things. He is worthy of our worship. And in verse 1, it says that the Most High God shelters you in his secret place. You put those two together, and it really is an intriguing phrase, isn't it? That here is the one who is supreme over all things, and that he shelters you in his secret place. He takes you and he hides you where no enemy can find you and no enemy can enter in to harm you. The, uh, uh, the versified version that's in our Psalter, unfortunately, doesn't have that phrase, secret place. I wish it did, because it really captures your imagination to think of the way the Lord protects us and hides us. Second, he is, uh, he is called the Almighty. That's a title that has some, some been translated as omnipotent. There's a $50 word for you. Uh, that means that he is powerful over everything. He is powerful over all things. Some other translations call uh, this title that God is our sovereign Lord, that he's able to do all of his holy will. Whatever he determines to do, he is able to do it. And verse 1 says that this almighty God casts a shadow. And again, think of the rich poetry that is being used here. And we know that God is a spirit and doesn't have a body, so he doesn't cast a shadow literally. But think of it this way. Think of the shadow of influence that we speak of, of those that have a certain amount of power. And they cast that shadow of influence. And in this case, it says that, that we as God's people are under that shadow of God's influence being cared for by the Almighty. The third title that's given here is the title of Lord. In your English Bible, you might notice that the word has all four letters capitalized. And that's because it's translating the word that we know as uh, sometimes translated as Jehovah or Yahweh. That's the covenant name that God gave himself when he spoke to Moses. He said to Moses when he asked, well, who shall I say is sending me? He says, tell them Yahweh is sending you. Tell them I am is sending you. It speaks to his eternal existence. It speaks to his power. It speaks to the fact that God is self-sufficient. He exists without anybody else's contribution to him. He doesn't need you to exist. But this Lord says that I am your Lord and you are my people. 
And this special title, this special name, has come to be used in connection with the covenants, the promises that God has made. By his own name, by his own existence, by his own absolute authority, since God has sworn he will keep his word. That's what comes through in verse 2. But also in verse 2, the psalmist says, he is my God. Here, the verse uses a common name for God. Uh, You might recognize it. It's the word Elohim. But what is striking here is that the psalmist refers to him as, as my God. My God. This is a God of of absolute power. His might, uh, no one can assail or say anything different when God makes up his mind. But this God is not somehow aloof or unapproachable. Instead, by his grace, he saves sinners. And he takes you to be his people so that you can call him my God. My God. And he in turn calls you my people. Well, having introduced you, the psalm now goes on to meditate on the many ways in which the Lord Uh, pictures the deliverance that he gives you from dangers. This comes through in verses 3 through 8. These promises for protection come through in the context of danger. And in doing this, we find out how God holds us close to his heart. Some of the dangers that are spoken of here are, are spoken of in ways that, uh, that describe uh, things that are, are large and small, day and night, dangers that are seen and unseen. And uh, throughout this last week, I've had a really wonderful time just taking, uh, taking the opportunity to, to stop and to meditate on each of these phrases. And I want to encourage you to do the same. I'm going to group them together a little bit, uh, uh, but I want to say, sing these words, meditate on the poetry, because of uh, they will cause uh, your understanding of God's protection under these da- dangers to resonate in your hearts. So look at these verses. Look at verse 8 about the dangers that we, uh, that we are under, dangers that are large, as large as a battlefield, Describes someone standing and, and a thousand fall, thousand soldiers fall on the left and 10,000 soldiers fall on the right. On the other hand, some dangers are small, like the snare of a fowler. That's a, that's a, a small trap to catch a bird. It may be small, but it is deadly as well. And in speaking of the the scale of dangers that we might go through, it helps us to understand that there are times where we face uh, danger that seems, seems sweeping, that envelops not just us personally, but that we are engaged in, in dangers that have cultural and national implications. And these types of dangers are are large, but other times there are dangers that are small 
dangers that are just as deadly, like facing temptation to sin when no one else is around. We think that no one will see us, and yet there is an unseen trap there. There's a small trap there that we might fall into. That goes into another class, that some dangers are seen like arrows that fly through the air, and some are unseen like a pestilence, like a disease from germs that you cannot see. That sounds very familiar. We're very familiar these days with these with an unseen pestilence. I almost wish that instead of calling it a pandemic or COVID, that we would start using that term. This is a pestilence that we are going through. And that, uh, that has, uh, has literal applications for us. We know that very well. It also makes me think of, of temptations as well that we face. Some are seen. There are temptations that I am, I am woefully aware of. I know them well because I live with them. And I battle them maybe day after day. And I can see them coming like the arrow flying through the air. But then I get caught by surprise by other temptations. Others that, uh, that are unseen and are infecting my heart in an unseen way. Temptations like envy or jealousy or greed that I've not spotted coming and yet they rise up and infect my heart. Some dangers come by day and some by night. I'm especially reminded of how things look different at night. Maybe the children may understand this, that uh, uh, when it gets dark at night, you get scared. You're afraid of the dark. You're not the only one. There are lots of people that are afraid of the dark. Or maybe you're like me. As I got older, I'm not so afraid of, of something that, that makes a noise at night or has a strange shape. Uh, instead, I'm afraid of, of other things now. It's kind of strange that as, as the day gets dark, then my mind starts to whir and to revolve around things that I can't quite understand or can't quite under un, control. And the darkness seems to magnify my fears and my mind and my gut get all worked up and I spiral deeper and deeper into darkness. Some dangers are like that, coming by day and by night. As big or powerful, as stealthy or insidious the danger that you face, Psalm 91 says that God offers that you may hide in his secret place, that you may take refuge in his presence. And having given those names of God in the first two verses, these verses, verses 3 through 8, go on to give several description of that love and protection that the Lord offers. So the one that stands out here is that of a, of a mama chicken, a hen, that spreads its wings so that the little baby chicks can, can crowd underneath her wings. And I wonder if you've ever seen this. Even though the mother hen 
is in danger herself when a fox or a cat comes near. At risk of her own life, that, that hen spreads her wings, and all of those baby chicks run and hide underneath those wings. And the mama turns and faces the threat of the cat or the fox. And woe to that fox if it gets near, because she's going to protect with beak and wings and claws. And that's the description that's given here of God sheltering you in the midst of these dangers. It also describes God as a shield and buckler, and that's very understandable, I hope. You think of an enemy coming with arrows and and sword and spear, that God comes between you and the enemy, just like that mother hen does. He comes between you and the enemy to protect you. Pause and think what this, this poetry is building. It's shaping your understanding of the Christian life, and particularly in, in view of the danger that we go through. It's shaping your understanding of God in the midst of the suffering that you go through. We can already begin to make some applications about this. We're learning that God doesn't promise that you won't ever go through those troubles. That's not what Psalm 91 says, is it? It doesn't say, be a Christian and you'll never experience any worry or trouble in the rest of your life. That's a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that falls flat on its face in, in, in view of the rest of Scripture. And it falls flat on its face in view of your own experience of life. You know that a Christian suffers at times. And God doesn't promise that you won't go through trouble or trial or temptation. But what he does promise is that he will be with you in the midst of it. The promise of deliverance then takes on a, a, a bigger significance. It's actually larger than God saying, oh, you'll never go through those things. No, it's, it's a larger promise than that. It refers not just to the troubles of this world, but refers to the larger scope of, of the human experience. For the troubles that we face are not just the troubles of this world, but the troubles of the world to come as well. And the troubles of an enemy that does uh, fight against Christ and against his church. What we find in this poetry is that God is with us in the midst of our troubles. That God loves us in the midst of our trials. And in fact, that he has loved us so much that he gave his own son to die on the cross. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I say this because in this section, we come to verse 8, that really helps us to understand the perspective of Psalm 91. That it refers not to, to just this life, but to, uh, but to the life to come as well. 
because verse 8 speaks about a day of judgment that God has in store for the wicked. And here, the psalmist lifts your eyes not just to the enemy of this life, but the enemy of, of all of God's people, of Satan himself. And so after speaking of thousands falling at your side, Psalm 8 says, but it will not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Now, the, the greater scripture has to inform us here because we know that, that the righteous do suffer sometimes and that even godly ones throughout the Old Testament fell in battle. So this is not a universal promise that you will, could be invulnerable in battle, that you could go into every fight and win because God says you, it shall not come near you. Your, your eyes will only see the destruction of the wicked. This has to be something more. And that something more is the already and not yet of the Christian life. That already you are a child of God such that the Lord protects your soul from anything that would rip you away from God's hands. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. And we know this because, because God has said that there is a day that he will come again and he will judge. And this is a, a universal promise. At the end of time, the Lord Jesus Christ will appear with his mighty angels and he will sit in judgment. And he will separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the wicked. And you as a child of God will only see the judgment that falls on the wicked. It will not come near you because Jesus Christ will judge. He is a holy God, and he won't leave the guilty unpunished. And he won't leave his children exposed to the enemy or to the guilt of sin or to its penalty. Instead, he will ultimately and finally deliver us from evil. And as you read Psalm 91, you come to the conclusion that it can't be any other way. Because God is God. You will go through suffering in this life. There will be times of lament, as we learn from Psalm 73. But God has promised to deliver you. A promise that has a foretaste in this life, as we, as we do have God's, uh, God's sheltering wings. But it's not a, a, a it's not a, um, an absolute promise to be delivered from all things in this life. The promise will ultimately be revealed in eternity. And that leads us to the next set of promises in verses 9 through 13. And there's a something of a shift in the point of view that takes place in these verses. The earlier verses, the psalmist is declaring what God has promised. And then in verses 9 and thir through 13, the psalmist 
turns and he begins to talk to himself. He's described God and now he addresses and counsels himself as, as he goes through the trials of this life. And there's something of a very important uh, application here just to take note of that, uh, that there's a Christian discipline of counseling yourself in the midst of trouble. I've already said that uh, we as believers do suffer, and that suffering happens for many reasons. Many of those reasons are not by your fault. You didn't choose to, uh, to get sick or to be injured or to go through a devastating disappointment. You didn't choose those things to, ha- to happen to you, but you can choose how you respond to those things. And what Psalm 91 does is it, <laughs> it leads you in a response, a, a godly response to the trouble that you go through. <clears throat> you can take shelter in the Most High God. You can find refuge in his presence and take comfort in the way that he is with you in all of those things. A way you might think about it is uh, what kind of protection do you look for when there's a tornado on the horizon? It's good for Oklahomans to be prepared, right? To be weather aware. Where do you go when there's a tornado? Well, uh, I hope that you have a, a tornado shelter. Somewhere in your, in your basement or maybe a, a room in your house that has been built specially strong so that you can, uh, can be saved from that tornado. Well, imagine instead of running to your tornado shelter, you go out to your trash can and you dig in your trash can and, and you find a, an old newspaper and you wrap it around yourself to, to think that that will protect you from a tornado. And maybe there's some banana peels you can put on your head. Uh, well, that's a, that's, that would be foolish, right? But when you face troubles and you turn away from the shelter of the Most High God, it's, it's just like trying to wrap yourself in old newspapers. It ignores the protection of that secret place of the Most High and the way you can find, uh, find comfort there. God is a refuge. It's not only something that you have to run to find, but these verses say God sends this shelter to us. He sends his angels to watch over you. Think of Elisha, surrounded by the enemy soldiers, and his servant being afraid of those soldiers. He was worried, how, how can we be delivered from these, these enemies? And Elisha said, you don't need to be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us, and he prayed and asked God to open his servant's eyes 
And he saw that on the mountains surrounding them was the heavenly host of fiery soldiers and chariots. That's why Elisha could say, more are those that are with us than against us. God sends his angels to watch over us. Those angels appear and at, at many points throughout, uh, throughout our history. Think of the angels that appeared in the night sky to announce the birth of the Messiah. Or think of the angels that came and ministered to Jesus when he was tempted. We read that passage earlier this morning and for a particular purpose. Because... Uh, uh, not only do the angels come to comfort Jesus, but Satan used this very passage to tempt our Lord and Savior. I want to remind you that Satan has been called a roaring lion and a serpent. And 90, Psalm 91 points to God enabling you to trample lions and snakes and so in Jesus' sake, here is that great lion, the devil, that serpent of old coming to tempt him. And Satan takes Jesus and into Jerusalem and puts him on the top of the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. Your own Bible says God will give his angels to watch over you. Your foot won't even touch the stones. Throw yourself down. If you are God, this will prove it. But Jesus answered with authority and with wisdom. He answered with the word of God that gave a proper understanding of this promise. He answered, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. gives a proper understanding of, of this promise. You have no right to act with presumption. In other words, you don't have right to, to go out and do something stupid, saying God will protect me because of Psalm 91. No, recklessness is, is not taught in Psalm 91. It, it isn't a, a universal promise of of protection. Instead, it is, uh, it, it is as Jesus describes here, Jesus describes those angels as being comforters in the midst of that trial. And in this way, Jesus resisted the devil. He put his, head, his foot on the head of the serpent and he quieted the roaring of the lion. And I hope that you can hear echoes then of, of Genesis chapter 3 being fulfilled in Jesus Christ and informing now Psalm 91 in a way that says that we as the people of God participate in Christ in stomping the head of the serpent. In Christ you too may stand in the evil day and you too may tread on the lion and the serpent. 
By the way, angels did come to Jesus. After the devil left Jesus, the angels came and ministered to him. Well, finally, I want you to look at verses 14 through 16 where God promises long life. This one, this promise too has uh, the potential of being misunderstood in the, in the sense of, uh, of taking it in an absolute way that if you are righteous, you will live a, a long and prosperous life. And the conclusion is that if, uh, if you die young, then there's something is wrong with you, that you have sinned and uh, done, done something wrong. Uh, but God here uh, speaks to us in a way that affirms a promise that lifts your eyes from this life to the promise of eternal life, which is an absolute and universal promise to us. And I want you to notice here who is speaking in verses 14 through 16. It's no longer the psalmist. It's God who is speaking. God affirms his promises. He affirms the shelter and defense that he gives his children. He says that he will answer when you call, that he will be with you in trouble, that he will deliver you in time of need. The effect of this, the effect of God speaking this is to invite you in, to invite you to find this shelter that the Lord provides. He extends a promise to his children, to those who love him and those who know his name, as these verses say. He gives his salvation to those who call on him. I want you to call your attention to uh, three uh, quick ways that he speaks of here. He says that God honors those who take refuge in him. And that's the hint that we have that there is a, a final judgment, a final honor that is being spoken of here that flavors the rest of the psalm. Secondly, he speaks of God giving the blessing of satisfaction in life. And unlike the wicked who have, may have all of the stuff of this world, all of the blessings, maybe a long and robust life, but are never satisfied. And yet in God, we have a satisfaction. And then that promise of long life. God's promises here should be understood in, in having their fullness for the most part in the world to come. In other words... This life is not all there is. Instead, the promise of that secret place of God is the eternity that we have with God in heaven. And that is an absolute promise. That you will enjoy long life, the, the longest life that could possibly be. For you will enjoy an eternity in the presence of our Savior. Psalm 91 is uh, one of the earliest psalms that, uh, that I remember memorizing in my family. It was part of our family worship for a time, and we sang it each night as, a, as our family gathered before the Lord. And it has been with me ever since. I often turn to it in my mind at night when I have trouble sleeping. 
or when those fears rise up and my stomach starts to churn. I seek refuge in God Almighty and use this psalm, literally use this psalm, quoting it, singing it, either in my mind or out loud. Other times when I, I face temptation that, that wants to steer my mind in places where I know it should not go. And I take refuge in God Most High, the Almighty. And I use this psalm, again, literally use it. I deliberately turn my mind to these verses singing them again in my mind or out loud, asking God to give a refuge in a time of temptation. I pray that you would come to love the Psalms in a similar way, that you would come to see their, their very practical use, that as you go through suffering and trial and temptation, that you can take refuge in the Lord Almighty. So you can hide in his secret place. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we do come to you today and confess that we go through a variety of of suffering. Suffering that uh, oftentimes is not of our own choosing. But God, as we go through that, I pray that we would choose to take refuge in our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty, the one most high. We thank you, O Lord, that our Savior has crushed the head of the enemy and has given us a promise of an already deliverance. But in the not yet, Lord, I pray that we would make use of these words. Your spirit would enable us to see Jesus Christ with us in the midst of our suffering. That these words especially would come back and guide us and comfort us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the month we'll be singing Psalm 91, Selection A. And the children will be memorizing it. And I hope that... As for me, that it will be a companion with you the rest of your lives. Psalm 91a, please stand to sing.